I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Wurundjeri people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Harvest is obviously that busy time of year, but that's the best time of year. It's got such an energy about it. Um, And, you know, it's bright really early, so you're up and you're into it and it's a nice way to live. It's a really nice way to live. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Nigel Wallington was born into a family of wine. You could say it's in her bloodline. Today, she represents the next generation of talented young winemakers. Alongside her husband, Steve, they run Chalu Wines in the region of Orange, New South Wales. Hi, Nadia. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Shante. Thanks for having me on. Uh, such a pleasure. I've been trying to, get, trying to get you on for a little bit, so thank you so much for making the time. I know that you're incredibly busy, um, but tell us a little bit. You grew up in a winemaking family. What was your childhood like around the, around the winery? Um, I guess I, I just mainly grew up around the vineyard. So my parents moved out from Sydney. So my dad was a doctor in Sydney and mum was a nurse and they moved out to Canoundra in central west New South Wales in 1990. And within 12 months of being there, they decided to plant some vines, um, which seemed to be the thing to do at the time. <laughs> um, so they planted Cabernets because that was dad's favourite variety and um, it all sort of started there. And then mum put in some more vines with Casella contracts and that sort of thing during the 90s. That was pretty common and um, was mainly growing grapes on contract but started making a little bit of wine on the side for themselves. And I think one of the first wines was actually made up in um, the Hunter Valley by Ian Riggs. And then later on it came down and it was made by um, Murray Smith at Canobolis Wines in Orange. And from there in 2000, mum and dad uh, built their own small boutique straw bale winery. And I guess that's where I really started to fall in love with, I guess, the work. So during harvest, it was always pretty fun when the machine harvesters would turn up and the big picking crews and there was a lot of excitement that sort of surrounded that time of year. But then once we started making wine, that's when the real fun sort of started, like going over and doing punch downs with mum and dad at, you know, in the morning and in the evening before bed. It was a bit of a ritual um, and pressing the grapes and tasting the juice and measuring bomes and all that sort of thing. So that was what my childhood was all about at that time of year. Um, we'd get dragged into pruning and chipping burrs and uh, all the other odd jobs that happen in the vineyard throughout the year. But sort of the buzz of harvest is what really captures you. You sound like a unique child because I can't imagine too many kids thinking, like you said, you fell in love with the work, but it sounds like a lot of physical kind of labor, but it's pretty amazing that you, you kind of took to it so early. These days, I mean, how do you feel about all that kind of physical work? Do you still love it so much? I really do. Um, I guess I've always done better outside of the classroom for want of a better description. And I feel as though I've really achieved something when I've can physically see the result, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. winemaking's always been something that's quite engaging in a physical way that 
I've really loved. You can see, touch, feel, taste, smell, which is amazing. Yeah, I completely understand that as somebody else who didn't particularly love having my head in a book and being in the in the classroom as well. I can understand that. So you decided you wanted to be a winemaker from an early age and you went and studied at Charles Sturt University. Um, after that, you travelled for a bit. Where did you spend your time when you travelled? Um, straight out of uni, I actually went and did a harvest first at De Bortley's down in the Yarra Valley before going off to California and working in Russian River for Mary Edwards, where I was for probably about nine months. And, and that was a great opportunity because I got to work in the vineyard, in the winery and also in the lab. It was a nice development role that I was in there. And then I went off to work in South Africa down in um, Stellenbosch for a company called Via Fonte which was just like a 40-tonne winery, but really, really cool, focused just on reds, um, ultra-premium, working with Zelma Long and Martin uh, – oh, what's Martin's last name? Gosh, I haven't spoken to him in a while. <laughs> and then after that I went over to France and I was there for about two years working in Castillon-Labataille, which is just next to Saint-Simillon, but also got the opportunity during that time to do quite a big, bit of work down in the languedoc Roussillon. Uh, and then in 2014, I came back and took a vintage winemaking position at Philip Shaw Wines in Orange and kind of stayed. Um, and I've been in Orange ever since. Orange just gets to you sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> I'll get to um, more about what you kind of jumped or what you did while you were in Orange and, and from there on. But can you tell me, you know, it's the three different places that you were, California, South Africa and France. I mean, the fact that you were involved in wine in all three places, did each of those places teach you something different about wine or was it more the culture that was quite different or how, do, how did you sum up what you took away from those places? Uh, I, I guess in a lot of ways I was at different stages of my career when I was at each of those places. You grow a lot through each experience and working with different winemakers. I've been fortunate to have really wonderful people who I've worked with who have been generous with their knowledge and been quite engaged in teaching me when I've worked for them. And so each place really offered a new opportunity to learn from their experiences and build on my own. So they were all quite different in that respect. Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose you, like you said, you grow a lot when you travel and it's also a pretty formative time, isn't it? When you're out of college and you're seeing the greater world. <laughs> oh, a absolutely. And the immersion in cultures that you were able to have through working and traveling was just amazing and you know South Africa was a country that I'd never considered traveling to at all but um, Mary Edwards had a good contact with Zelma Long and that's how I sort of ended up there and my position in France that was very opportunistic in that I actually went over to France and just did woofing because I didn't have any real contacts in any um, any wineries in France so I figured if I just got over there then I'd surely be able to get a job, which I did. But I was woofing on, you know, an organic farm for a month before I landed the job with uh, Le Cherquet and 
just having that immersion in culture was phenomenal. You said you were doing what before you started in France in in the winery? So it's Woofing. It's a world organisation of organic farmers. Oh, um, and okay. And it's actually something that my mum did here in Canoundra. So she, on her property, she's organic certified and you're able to sort of be a part of this exchange program where people come and work on your property in the exchange for board and keep and it's um and it's it's an exchange of culture and experience and it's a really uh, wonderful thing to partake in and i thoroughly enjoyed my time in france working with this family and they essentially became my adopted family in france whilst i lived there as well and they've since come and visit me over here so it's a it was a wonderful thing to have been able to have the time to do yeah I'm just looking up the website now that's actually I mean I remember you know back in high school days when people went on exchange and there were programs but I didn't know about this one that's fantastic and I it's great to hear that there are opportunities out there where like you said whether you you know you have a certain skill set you want to want to achieve or not but that's that's your kind of gateway that's awesome yeah so then you decided to come back to Orange. Why Orange of all places and why not back home or to a big city? How come you chose Orange? Uh, well, I guess Orange was the closest region to home. So mum's um, wine business is just a very small boutique business and probably not big enough to really engage me at that point. Uh, and so Orange was a way of checking in on mum I guess my younger sister had just left home and so I wanted to be a little bit closer to her and doing a harvest in orange would buy me a bit of time around here and then I just thought that I'd skip off to the next northern hemisphere vintage was sort of my plan but when I got back to orange I sort of I was a bit surprised I guess to the opportunity that existed here I'd actually gone to high school in Orange and thought I was pretty familiar with what was going on. But when I came back in 2014, there was a lot more energy than I remembered the region having. And it was really starting to pick up. And the change that I've seen in the last eight years has just been really, really exciting. There's a lot more brands there's a lot more professionalism in the industry and um, young talent as well, which is really exciting. Definitely. It is such a, um, I, w- I used to say emerging and not anymore. I think it's just such a vibrant region for a lot of different industries. Um, I, I love that Orange maintains its kind of, um, I suppose you'd say it's kind of roots to being that regional hospitality. There's still those, you know, cute little bakeries and everything that I love out there but in terms of on offer the restaurants and and dining scene and you know wineries and cellar doors they're amazing what makes Orange a unique region for viticulture? Uh, So Orange is quite diverse the region itself is actually defined by elevation not just its boundary so To be classified as an orange region, you have to have a vineyard over a 600-metre elevation. So our cool climate is really defined by our elevation. But within that elevation, you've got vineyards at 600 metres and vineyards that are over 1,000 metres. So 
there's quite a diversity just in that, as you can imagine, uh, where sort of at lower elevations you may see very strong Shiraz and Chardonnay and then at the higher elevations you're seeing very strong Riesling and Pinot Noir as well as sparkling wines. So I really like the diversity that we're able to have here in Orange. And then sort of with Mount Canobolis, there's, um, you know, very uh, old volcanic soils and Ordovician bands that run through the region, giving, um, again, great diversity of sites. Yeah, I think for a lot of people that haven't travelled out to that area, they um, see that it's kind of regional and that there's kind of apple orchards out there and, and they don't think of um, that extinct volcano of Mount Knobles and don't realise just how cool it can be. So they're quite surprised by how cool the climate is and the varieties that are grown there. You mentioned earlier that you uh, worked for Philip Shaw uh, for seven years. What was your experience of working for Philip and uh, what what did you, I mean, I'm sure you learned a huge amount in, in quite a long time there. Well, Philip had taken a bit of a back step um, when I arrived to the company and I was working more closely with his son, Daniel. So Daniel has um, taken on the winemaking and he's been there since 2012 and prior to that he's worked extensively overseas in America and New Zealand and uh, he, he's a very talented winemaker and um, I, I learned a lot of Daniel and Philip was also involved in the business and would come in for tastings but wasn't really involved in that day-to-day winemaking. That was really more with Daniel. So I had the opportunity to work with him, which was really quite wonderful. Uh, I know that, you know, in terms of the developing region, you know, Philip Shaw wine, wines is are really important in terms of um, promoting the region as well. Uh, your husband Steve ended up making wines for your family, Wallington Wines, out in Canoundra. Um, why the decision for him to make wines at Wallington Wines and not yourself? <laughs> oh, sometimes it's easy uh, for somebody who's not family <laughs> to work with family. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's probably braver than me working with my mum, to be honest. I love her. (laughs) Uh, And it was where we were both at at that point. Um, I was really enjoying the position and the winemaking that I was doing at Philip Shaw, whereas Steve, I guess, was looking to branch out a little bit more at that time. So that was in 2017. And mum needed a little bit more help in her business and on the property. So Steve stepped in there and it's given him the opportunity to really focus on viticulture in a big way which I guess is quite important to us and our dynamic because now we have our own property in Orange which has a six hectare vineyard and we manage the six hectare vineyard in Canoundra as well so you know building that viticultural experience is really important we do work with Liz Riley um who's a a very um, experienced viticulturalist and able to give us quite a a great amount of support in what we're doing, both um, in the vineyard but also as young wine professionals. We're very lucky to be able to work with Liz. But the opportunity that Steve had in 2017 really 
was quite important to getting us to where we are today. I mean, I kind of thought you might answer that question that way because I totally thought the same thing is that sometimes it's easier or or less complicated to not work directly with your family but it goes to show what a strong relationship you have with your husband to throw him into the mix (laughs) and let him uh, be working with your family I think that that's wonderful I was just going to say he's a very patient man (laughs) He sounds a delight. I'll have to meet him one day. Um, So tell me about what happened in 2020, which was a really exciting year for you both, um, starting your own label. I believe that you had something to do with some of the the vines that you purchased already. So tell me how all that came about. It's very funny because the first thing that sprung to my mind when you said 2020 was actually the fires, (laughs) Um, because uh, although we had a lot of very exciting things that happened that year, um, you know, it, it did all start off with quite a jolt with the fires in this region where the property that um, we did buy that year, um, it's just been our two-year anniversary living here. Um, but in 2020, this vineyard was not picked because of smoke taint and neither were most of the vineyards that I was looking after um, within my role at Philip Shaw. So it was a very sad start to 2020 and then it all really turned on its head with COVID and all the rest of it. So it was a strange year. <laughs> and during that time, we managed to purchase our property, which was very exciting. And I think we moved in during lockdowns and all the rest of it. Um, and then we also managed to carve out a small amount of time in in the end of the year in October to get married so 2020 was a big year on on a lot of fronts I think I feel like the good outweighed the bad but I can imagine um even like you said purchasing a, a property and in that year not knowing what the rest of the year looked like or what the future looked like it's um exciting but very scary <laughs> Yeah, it was a, it's it was just a little bit of one foot after the other and she'll be right. It was <laughs> a very strange year, but a wonderful year at that at the same time as well. So, how did you decide on on the name Shalu and how did you decide on the vision of what you wanted your own wine label to be? I guess having our own wine label has been something that Steve and I've spoken about for a number of years and really since he started working in Wallington Wines, which is my mum's business, I guess at one point we thought that maybe we could end up down there and that's why Steve Steve also spent the time down there. Um, but we really have such a strong pull to Orange and the property that we've bought was being leased by Philip Shaw Wines at the time and so I'd had exposure to the fruit and to the site and I thought it was pretty handy and had a lot of potential. So I took Rob who was the owner of the property out for coffee one day and uh, he sort of got the hint that I maybe was interested in buying his property and he was looking at retirement so was quite happy to be passing it on to us and that, that all went ahead quite 
easily, which is amazing. And then deciding on the name, oh, that was probably, you know, six months back and forth. And it's really hard to be original these days because I feel like most most of the names are taken. <laughs> but Charlotte uh, was actually just a mash of Stephen My Mill names, so Charlton and Louise. Um, so it, oh. it's just a brand uh, about us and about our life and our lifestyle here that we have. We're really passionate about, you know, growing the grapes ourselves and making them ourselves and, and trying to have a, a sustainable, wholesome business. And we just feel really privileged to have the opportunity to do what we love every day and, um, so far, we've had our first release of our Chalou wines, which have sold out, which is amazing. I noticed. Uh, <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, no, we were a bit overwhelmed with how well our wines were received and the support by sort of our peers here in Orange, but also further afield. It, it's been such a wonderful process to have gone through, despite it being quite a strange time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with with the world just the way it is and all the uncertainty that has sort of surrounded that starting a business has been a, a strange a strange thing to do mm. it's really nice to hear I mean I think that you're the youngest brand that I've spoken to on the podcast and and you do wonder sometimes how do people get started how do they approach those conversations of like you said oh, I want to buy your property how do you feel about that like you know, there's a lot of also red tape and, and po- politics that come up and council and all, everything that goes into it. And, and doing it in the time you have is truly um, awe-inspiring. But So congratulations for you doing it. But I think that when I saw that your label was coming out, it didn't surprise me. And I kind of thought, well, you know, you know this region, uh, you know been working you know for Philip Shaw for quite some time I knew your partner worked in wine and so it didn't surprise me and I just thought of course that makes sense and I can't wait to see the wines um and 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 congratulations and you've got two different um two different labels so you've kind of got your estate um and then you also have the dreaded friend uh label as well and then the Somme and the winemaker which is obviously your um, partnership with Luella Matthews uh, the sommelier as well and I think uh, they're all doing pretty well aren't they? Yeah and they they all sort of give us different opportunities with our winemaking as well so the, the Charlotte Estate really focuses on the four varieties that we've come to feel Orange does effortlessly well that being Riesling, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Syrah and then the dreaded friends a little bit more playful and not as tied just to our property here. So as I mentioned before, we also manage Mum's Vineyard down in Canoundra. So we do take some Grenache and Cabernet Franc from the vineyard down there to go into that range. And then with the Somme and the Winemaker, that's a really fun collaboration to do with Lou because I guess Smellia's approach wine from a different standpoint uh i guess winemakers are always going from the berry to the wine to the consumer whereas in a lot of ways the smellier is taking a lot back from the consumer they're more consumer facing so they have a better idea of style and the range of styles and opportunity with different varieties 
that mm. unless we've had that exposure as winemakers, we're not as um, aware of in a lot of ways. Uh, and so there's a lot to learn through working with Luella on that project and it challenges the way that I think about wine and the way that Steve and I think about wine and styles and texture. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we, we get to play in different, in different ways with each of those ranges, I guess. And, and I'm sure, you know, sommeliers, they end up learning a lot the other way around too and how, how you look at, look at a finished product and, and all the telltale signs that go into um, what you can see in a glass. I think it's always fascinating to taste wine with um, winemakers and marketing people and sommeliers because everyone approaches it really differently. But you um, have a nice little farm there on your property as well. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of the animals that you have and the lifestyle and then how do you channel that into telling people a little bit about the special place that you have? Oh, well, we're really just starting, to be honest. I'd love to have more animals here at the moment, but unfortunately, the truth is that stock's just very expensive. <laughs> um, but we do have some sheep. So we have some, some Dorper sheep that have their lambs and we um, do harvest their meat. And so that's quite nice to eat the meat that we've raised ourselves. And then we have chooks, which we take our eggs from. And then I have my horse, Fred. I grew up with horses, so having a horse on the property is a really important thing to me. Um, and, I, and I guess having the animals and having the extra space. So we have six hectares of vineyards, but it's 96 hectares of land. I grew up on a 1,000-acre property, so it feels quite small. <laughs> um, but... But having this space, I think, is a real privilege. The, the back of the property, um, we really want to dedicate that space to just regeneration and planting trees and that sort of thing. And then um, we've got another area down the bottom where we want to build a little bit of landscaping and do a bit more structured um, sanctuary. But it's all about... A lifestyle. We also have a market garden and an orchard, so really trying to grow as much as we can for our table, and that paddock to plate is a really important part of our lifestyle. But in saying that, um, I do have an eight-month-old, and so some of those things have been thrown a little bit out of whack. Um, I have slightly less time than I thought I would have, but. Um, it's really important to both Steve and I, we grew up on the land and having the opportunity to have our children grow up on the land is something that I think um, is a real privilege. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think as city people, when we look at, you know, even your website, when you see that you have peaches and, you know, that you've got your uh, mob of sheep and your dog and we just think oh it's so romantic but in reality it's really quite a lot of work isn't it and like you said 
plus having to do, you know, vintage and, and tend to your vines and then an eighth month old. Yeah, you must uh, be time poor occasionally. It, it, it is a mad thing. And it's not for everyone to like have your own land and because all of it is work. You can't just have animals and not look after them. You can't just have a veggie patch and not tend to it. You can't have an orchard and not prune your trees. There's a lot of maintenance um, in keeping all of those things ticking over. And I, I guess that was a big reason why Rob was so, Rob and Felicity, sorry, was so happy to um, sell the property to us because they saw that we had the energy to maintain those things and breathe a bit of fresh life. Um, they wanted to go and travel the world, which um, I think is a pretty good idea as well. <laughs> and um, they still come down and they're able to enjoy the property whenever they like it, but they don't have to do the the hard slog with it every day. And, you know, you, you're up at the crack of dawn and you're outside until the sun goes down. But we, we love that. That's what we grew up with and we really enjoy this lifestyle. Both of our parents sort of said to us when we were saying we're buying a property, you know, they were, oh, are you sure? Are you sure that's what you really want to do? Um, because they're, they're aware of the challenges that it has. But um, I, I think that we're, we know those challenges and you know the lifestyle that we're able to have here outweighs yeah, any any of the hardship. I bet it feels pretty good, like you said, being up at the crack of dawn and working till I bet it feels pretty good when you fall into bed and know that you've earned every single day. <laughs> it it really does. And, you know, harvest harvest is obviously that busy time of year and growing and you know, that harvest is extended with the growing season when you're in the vineyard as well. But that's the best time of year. It's got such an energy about it. Um and, you know, it, it's bright really early, so you're up and you're into it and it, it's a nice way to live. It's a really nice way to live. And you've got your dog who's a black lab, is he? Yeah, Barnacle. 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 Well, that's a, such a unique name. How come Barnacle? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'd have to um, talk to Steve a little bit more about that. He, <laughs> he gets to name animals, I get to name children. Um, <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> um, no, it's all a collaboration. But, um, yeah, Barnacle, I think we were going through a pirate phase then. Uh, it was around the time that Steve had his 30th birthday party and that was pirate-themed and it all um, – he, he sort of sticks to you like glue, I think, was – or sticks to you like a barnacle. So that's where that comes from. But it is, it is unique and he's unique. <laughs> <laughs> he looks gorgeous and there's nothing like having a little friend to follow you around and keep you company. So, uh, well, I want to find out a little bit about your palate. So if you could drink only three alcoholic beverages for the rest of your life, what would they be and why? I'm assuming you want like more specific than just wine. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want. I definitely have to say Shiraz or Syrah. Uh, that's sort of my go-to bread. I can drink Shiraz, particularly cool climate Shiraz or Northern Rome. Mm. Could drink that every day, every day quite happily. And second to that, Chardonnay. Chardonnay, it's just got so much range. And then beer. Got to have a beer to make wine. And it was one of those, well, it was the one thing that I was quite surprised I missed when I was pregnant 
Uh, I actually found myself drinking quite a lot of uh, Heaps Normal, which is the no alcohol beers when I was pregnant because I was just craving them. So it has to be on the list because I barely lasted nine months. My goodness, I feel you. I actually said this, that the same words came out of my mouth the other day. I said, because I still get to taste wine and review wine, you smell it and you're like, it's, you know, it's, but it's the drinking of the beer, just a cold beer at the end of the day that I really miss. And I'm on your, I've been drinking heaps normal as well because it's got all the flavor and it really does hit the spot. So they do very well. And I was surprised. I thought that beer would be fine over nine months, but it's exactly that. You're still getting to taste the wines and get that pleasure from that. But beer, you need to drink it. It needs to needs to be that refreshing ale. Yeah, there's something about sipping and spitting out beer that's so wrong. I just can't do it. No, I don't do that. I don't think beer mate, I don't think brewers even spit it out. No. It's yeah, it's illegal. <laughs> Well, Nadia, it's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for taking the time. I can't wait to get out and uh, see you at some point and uh, check out check out the place and uh, say hi to Barnacle. But thank you very much again and uh, congratulations as well with everything that you've done in the past few years and congratulations on getting into Len Evans as well. Oh, thank you so much and thanks for having me on. And, yeah, we'd love to see you in Orange at some stage. That would be awesome. Perfect. Have a fantastic day. Cheers to you. Okay, righto. Bye. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.